Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Good evening everyone, I'm Rick Walker, welcome back to the Maverick News Channel uh, sorry, just a little later getting started tonight, and uh, that's because we've been making. I've made some changes here in the studio today. Uh, made some changes to the computer, to the audio system, and I'm just hoping that you guys are able to see and hear me this evening. I think everything is hooked up and looking good. If you are having trouble. If you can't see me or hear me, then you may not be able to respond because you wouldn't know I'm asking. But if you can see and hear me, let me know in the chat. And that would be helpful to me very much. Uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight. Oh, and I have to actually click on this over here. Okay, we are now live on Wimkin as well. I just wanted to make sure that we got all of the uh, all of the social media platforms connected here after our technical changes, and we are firing on all cylinders. Atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed. We are ready to talk about the destruction of some Iranian ships. We're going to talk about Stephen Hawking. Is it real or is it Memorex? And what's the real deal with the late genius? Hmm. We'll give you some of the, uh, the inside baseball on Stephen Hawking's unusual life. In the wake of the Epstein document releases, uh, Israel, Gaza. Israel has uh, provided an update on their military operations, saying that they have dismantled the military framework for Hamas. We'll talk about where that leaves things now. Lloyd Austin, fallout from his operation, raising some embarrassing questions for the Biden administration. It seems he was out of commission, out of action, and the White House wasn't even aware. Um, and a rise in anti-Semitism across Canada. Uh, so much going on these days that I just, it makes me scratch my head and wonder what the heck happened to the country I used to live in I seriously do not recognize it anymore. And the rush to electrify the auto industry continues as Honda signals that they may invest in the construction of a, an automotive facility in, which would include a battery plant. So all that and more coming up right here on the Maverick News Channel after this. Greetings, brave Mavericks. 
Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. So just to set the stage for these other stories that we're going to tackle tonight, stories, a lot of them dealing with the situation between Israel, Hamas, and the Gaza Strip. Go back a couple of days. Uh, this on January 4th, the U.S. Department of Defense released information about U.S. forces in Iraq conducting what they called a self-defense strike. It killed Mushtaq Jawad Kazim al-Jawari, a leader of the Iran-backed Harakat al-Nujaba terrorist group that is operating both in Iraq and Syria, according to the Pentagon. Al-Jawari, also known as Abu Taqwa, was actively involved, according to U.S. officials, in planning and carrying out attacks against American personnel. They, in their media release, said that along with another member of that group, they were both killed in a strike that took place around noon, January 4th, in Iraq. That according to Air Force Major General Pat Ryder during a news conference. I have a clip of or from that for you to give you full context. Here we go. In Iraq time, U.S. forces took necessary and proportionate action against Mushtaq Jawad Kazim al-Jawari, a.k.a. Abu Taqwa, who is a Harakat al-Najuba leader. Abu Taqwa was actively involved in planning and carrying out attacks against American personnel. The strike also killed another Han member. It is important to note that the strike was taken in self-defense, that no civilians were harmed, and that no infrastructure or facilities were struck. U.S. forces are in Iraq at the invitation of the government Iraq to help train and advise in support of the defeat ISIS mission. No one wants to see a return of ISIS, um, which, oh, by the way, just claimed uh, responsibility for the attacks that we're seeing, uh, we saw yesterday in Iran. Uh, so our focus is going to continue to remain on the defeat ISIS mission. Um, but again, we're not going to hesitate to protect our forces if they're threatened. Okay, so what that says to me is we're, we're seeing a further, well, it doesn't appear to be directly related to what's going on in the Gaza Strip between Israel, Hamas, all of that. It is. And even if it isn't, this still plays into it because it's all interconnected. It spreads the U.S. 
a little thinner again because and and it reignites a lot of what's going on has gone on in the past in Iraq and there is I'm seeing growing unrest within Iraq as well where some are calling now for the removal of US influence and in, and US forces from Iraq as much as the United States tells us that they are there at the invitation of the Iraqis. They may be there at the invitation of an Iraqi government that has been put into place by the Americans and is being controlled by the Americans. Public opinion, I don't think, would reinforce that statement. It's an unfortunate and inconvenient truth. That being said, the United States has some pretty serious challenges on its hands in the uh, in the Middle East, and things continue to ramp up. And today, we're seeing reports now of a serious situation involving Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Uh, vessels that were being used to resupply the Houthis in Yemen with weapons. They've been blown to smithereens. Let me show you what we're dealing with here. This is what it looks like. This being described as mysterious at this point, so not clear who was responsible for this, but I don't think it would take an Einstein to connect the dots, but that is serious. Multiple ships involved. And of course, we did see warnings from the United States, NATO, well, the, uh, the, the various countries that have aligned and joined forces to keep the shipping lanes open in the Red Sea, saying they, they did issue a warning to Yemen, saying that if they didn't stop the attacks on merchant vessels, that Yemen would be attacked. But we're getting this against these Iranian ships. So that's pretty serious. More escalation. And it involves Iran. So increased volatility. We'll have to wait and see what happens in terms of who might come forward to accept responsibility for that attack. Lloyd Austin. The defense secretary went into the hospital earlier this week and went in, went in for an operation. He was out of commission. So the deputy secretary of defense was not told that Austin had been hospitalized. 
when she assumed some of his duties back on Tuesday. Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks didn't find out until Thursday. According to U.S. officials, she was in Puerto Rico on a vacation, came home Saturday. And Austin has been, I guess, in hospital since January 1st. There were complications that came after an elective medical procedure. He was in the ICU, intensive care unit, according to U.S. officials. And the White House also was not made aware of what was going on with Austin until days after he was admitted to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. That revelation is, to say the least, rather embarrassing, I would say, for the Biden administration. And it makes us all wonder, well, it makes me wonder, if Lloyd Austin is fit to hold the position that he has, it's really incumbent upon him to make sure that the administration is informed when he's out of commission. It doesn't seem to me like he was responsible about it. Now, I don't know exactly what happened, obviously, with his medical condition and what happened when he went into the hospital, but he has issued this statement saying that he is committing to doing better. He said, this from Lloyd Austin, he says, but it's this is important to say, this was my medical procedure, he says, and I take full responsibility for my decisions about disclosure. So he's taking the hit on this, or trying to, but it also raises questions about communication protocol with the White House and Austin and other senior administration officials, I would think. That's especially right now, we're at a, a critical juncture with regard to these international conflicts. We're, we're at war. And your 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 Secretary of Defense goes into the hospital, and the president doesn't even know for days. Even the his 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 number two over at the Defense Department, they just don't even know. So ongoing concerns about that tonight. Um, it's at Italy's foreign minister is calling for the formation of a European Union armed forces. He um, He's arguing that a unified European military would be crucial to achieving an effective European foreign policy and safeguarding the citizens of EU nations amidst global challenges. So some are saying that this is a call to form a European joint army to really go to war with Russia. That isn't exactly the language that I'm hearing or seeing coming directly from the Italian foreign minister, but some are characterizing it that way. Here are some social media posts related to that. 
we'll show you the reaction that that's getting. It's uh, it's got the hairs standing up in the backs of some people's necks. Some people worried about the language, the saber rattling here. Says, this is from Sprinter. Says, if we want to be peacemakers in the world, we need European armed forces. And this is a fundamental precondition to be able to pursue an effective European foreign policy. That according to Italian Foreign Minister Antonio Tajani. Italian foreign minister calls for formation of EU army from Reuters. Calls for formation of EU army, Reuters. And it goes on. Truth Online says the European Union should form its own combined army that could play a role in peacekeeping and preventing conflict. Clash report. Also picking up these stories. And over at InfoWars, that's where they're reporting that this is an attempt or a suggestion, a move toward forming a European army to go to war with Russia. That's the way they're headlining this tonight. I'd say we're quite a distance from real action on that, but the fact that it's being spoken about and getting this kind of traction in the media should focus our attention on that. Just something to take note of. You'll likely hear more about it. Israel has provided an update on its assault on the Gaza Strip More than a month after a temporary ceasefire between Hamas and Israel ended, Israel is now saying that it's been able to dismantle the military framework of Hamas. And we're a long way from this thing being over with. I believe the... Uh, Palestinian side, the Hamas-controlled medical aid for Palestine said that they are now pegging the number of deceased at more than 22,000. And we are also seeing South Africa ramp up its, um, well, they've filed a complaint accusing in the international court, accusing Israel of genocidal actions going against an international agreement that Israel actually signed on to. And I know in Canada, there is growing pressure on the Canadian government to support what South Africa is doing. 
in that regard. Israel has been very aggressive already in trying to circumvent that, to head it off at the pass, if you will. And I think that is an indication that Israel knows that they are potentially in a lot of trouble because of that complaint from South Africa. And internationally, there is growing support for that declaration and accusation from South Africa. And over time, because of what Israel has done, especially after their initial assaults, because this has been ongoing, Israel's being accused of genocidal intent, a war crime. The United States joined at the hip with Israel, and this is an ongoing problem for the United States as well. Increasingly, the U.S. and Israel, we're finding them becoming more and more isolated over time. The, the real question is, does this military action in Gaza rise to the level of a genocide? And if it does... What will accountability look like? What will the legal process look like? And will, can Israel be held accountable on that front over the long run? And because the United States and other countries, including Canada, continue to supply aid, military aid, monetary aid to facilitate Israel's actions, how accountable how responsible is the United States? How responsible is Canada for what Israel is doing with the resources, the military resources that are being provided? I'd say there is legal precedent and legal justification, legal, a legal foundation for making a very strong argument in favor of the idea that the United States and even Canada could be held legally responsible for the actions of Israel, which our governments have made possible. And we've also seen that Palestinian political activist group in Canada also saying that they, are filed, they have filed a complaint with the International Criminal Court, the ICC, to hold Canada and the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, responsible for what they characterize as well as a genocide against the Palestinian people. This is a, becoming increasingly complex legally. It is becoming increasingly complex culturally and in terms of PR and the information war, very clear that... Israel is losing on that front. You know who else is losing is just common everyday people, regular people. Even here in Canada, we're seeing, we are seeing an absolute rise in anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish rhetoric and action on the streets. Every weekend now we see 
pro-Palestinian, even pro-Hamas, I would say, protests, especially in major cities like Toronto. And it's many of these protests, we are seeing Jewish people targeted with words and actions that you can characterize as hate, certainly prejudicial and discriminatory, filled with anger, and, uh, and I would say even bigotry. Kareem Assad out there, again, covering a lot of these protests, especially in the Toronto area, Toronto lawyer, and getting you know quite a bit of attention through other media outlets, many media outlets with her videos, including these most recent clips, this one here in particular on a skating rink in Toronto. Don't touch me. Don't, do not touch me. Do not touch me. You touch me. Don't touch me. Don't, you literally touch me. Back the fuck away. Shame on you! I have an idea. Instead of uh, shouting and fighting and going to war, why don't we just have a hockey tournament? See if we can settle up some of that stuff that way. This clip here also going really viral. This one from Kareem Assad. This was, I believe, yesterday. I could have the date wrong, but it's posted, I believe, from yesterday. And uh, this is where the these pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas supporters who are blockade, blockading a bridge that was leading into the Jewish community of Armour Heights in Toronto. And, you know, it's being called out by a lot of people as, as shameful and very anti-Canadian because the cops literally delivered coffee to the people blocking the bridge and blocking access to this Jewish neighborhood. Here, take a look at this. I was aware of this yesterday, didn't run it because I wasn't really sure what to make of it, but yeah, I think it is what it is. He left. No one told him they can't come back. Otherwise, he would have said, "Okay, I just said." Okay, I'll, I'll just ask you. Just, I just said. So, sorry, it's the person with the vest. Jihad. Yeah. How did uh, how did you get coffee from the police? Uh, well, not the police. Someone someone has brought it for us, but the police won't let them in. So the police are now having our little messengers between us. I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. We're up, we're on the bridge. 
They're not letting anyone else come on, which makes no sense. Because if we're already on the bridge, how is there a public safety? Yes, he left, no one told him they can't come back, otherwise he would have said, okay, I understand. I am perplexed. Jihad? How? What is that? I mean, if if that's just uh, an effort by police to keep the peace, to de-escalate, uh, okay. But it seems to me very inappropriate. Police are there to be neutral. They're also there to uphold the law, if possible. First and foremost, they are there to keep the peace, keep people safe. But I think this, this, it is unusual and, and maybe even shameful because of what these guys are doing. They're blocking a public roadway. They're blocking access to a Jewish a predominantly Jewish community. And the police, who should be working to restore public order, if possible, in a peaceful way, and reopen the roadway, when possible, in a peaceful way that keeps people safe, they go over and provide aid and comfort to the people who are technically breaking the law. And doesn't Ontario have more robust laws in place now in the wake of the Freedom Convoy to effect arrests and lay charges against people who disrupt or block public infrastructure? And why are those laws not being applied here? It seems very distasteful as well. I mean, if you just changed the labels on some of these people and looked at it, tried to look at it from a more neutral perspective, I think that the alarm bells really start to kind of go off. I mean, imagine if this was a neighborhood of gay people and you had an anti-gay group of activists protesting that or anti-gay people blocking the roadway because they knew that there was a, a community of gay people. Or what if it was a, a predominantly black community and then you had a bunch of I don't know, white supremacists who were blocking access to the predominantly black community. If this is truly a, a, a race-based protest or a, a, a protest that is targeting a community because of the ethnicity of the people who live there, this is... Pretty disgusting. And for the cops to do that, I don't know what, 
I don't know what kind of message that delivers. But I don't think it's a good one. First, keep everybody safe. But you need to be even-handed in the way you apply the law and also even-handed in just the way you behave. And I don't think that we're seeing that here. And that gives real rise of you know this that 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 concerns me. Is it seems like the cops are I'd I'd say the cops are afraid. We've seen that repeatedly. It depends on how big the crowd is, and it also depends on who it is that's protesting and where they are on the social hierarchy of victimhood, I think. And the more you are perceived to be a victim on the identity politics social victim scale, the more power you actually have. is going on this being reported this is a global news article saying that there is well these these are referencing comments being made by retired senior military officers defense leaders within the in Canada says here three retired Canadian defense leaders say Chief of Defense Staff General Wayne Iyer is making the right move in sharing public statements about the challenges facing the Canadian Armed Forces around personnel shortages, aging equipment, and operational readiness. And we did report on that about ooh, a week or so ago. We showed you the, the clips there. We ran the clips of Wayne Iyer saying that Canada, the Canadian Armed Forces are not properly equipped at all and that it is actually getting to be a crisis. And uh, these retired military leaders are backing them up saying, yes, it is so serious that it needs to be just laid on the table for everyone to see. It goes on, it says, this level of candor is not usually seen among military leaders when it comes to sharing issues with the Canadian Armed Forces, but retired Royal Canadian Air Force Commander and former Chief of Defense Staff General Tom Lawson sees it as a positive. He says, I think good, clear talk at this time is a good thing. And I did say earlier that I'm optimistic. I think I'm sharing some of these short-term problems. Helps him, General Wayne Iyer, deal with it, Lawson told the West Block host Mercedes Stevenson. 
a global program. So, pretty odd, like some pretty alarming honesty coming from senior military officials and retired military officials who are coming out to really call attention to this. I would say that you're seeing that on this program with these retired military leaders because it is very serious and in a position coming from a position of retirement they can speak more plainly without fear of reprimand the question is will trudeau and his liberal government do anything about it it may well become an election issue as we head into the next year and yeah, I think Trudeau will call an election at some point in the next 12 months. I think we will be into an election in the fall. And that may well be one of the key issues. Here's a, um, a message from the head of Hezbollah, Nassan Nasrallah. He says, he explains here what he thinks should be done with homosexuals. Let me share this with you. Here we go. What do studies reveal? He says, according to studies, whoever becomes embroiled in homosexuality cannot walk out of homosexuality. They are stuck. They really are. Even if they become aware, noticed, asked for forgiveness, repented, or even cried at night, they could become aware of their situation. Ask for forgiveness, repent, and even fast. This was experienced by some people. I have heard of some people and know some others abroad. This happened to them. They became aware of it, started praying at night, crying, fasting, etc. But to no avail, they are stuck. Now concerning such crimes, to destroy the families and society, we have crucial provisions in Sharia. But here's the difference, because a point should be mentioned here. If a person commits adultery, may it be a man or a woman, if they committed adultery, unmarried, they shall be flogged. And if they were married, in accordance with the ruling of the judge, they shall be killed. In case of homosexuality, no distinction is made between an unmarried and married person. In case of homosexuality, from the first time, even if they were unmarried, they shall be killed. Pretty, pretty blunt talk there, too. I wonder if the people out there carrying signs that say gays for Palestine are clued in.
Maverick News. The world is watching. is watching. The New World Order Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now, at FreedomReporters.com That's FreedomReporters.com Maverick News the antivirus program for your mind. Okay, so we're back, and Travis Antonio, I know that you did send me a message, which I did not respond to yet by email because I've been so busy today about um, your sweatshirt hoodie which i will send you tomorrow and yeah i'll make sure that i send you the right size that's why you were asking um i think in your case probably uh an extra large will will be the appropriate size but i'll double check i'll check some size charts and if you donate sixty dollars or more I will send you a Maverick News hoodie. It would be my pleasure to do that. And they're quite nice. I have one for me, too. Yeah. The Knights of Malta hoodies. We never actually had any of those made, but I am getting some made. So if you were waiting on one of those, because some people, a couple of people asked for those, too. So I'm going to get some of those made. And uh, they're in process, and they'll be shipped out. Um, as soon as I can get those shipped out as well. And you can donate to the show by going to maverickdonations.com. That takes you to the Give, Send, Go page. And you can also help keep this operation rolling by donating at freedomreporters.com. That's where most people go to donate. Also, if you are on Rumble, you can donate through the Rumble rants over there that work kind of like the Super Chats. So some people do that, and that's very helpful. Uh, we do have a lot of expenses to cover, 
and greatly appreciate the support that we do get. Um, we're going to be making some changes uh, to the system here, some additional changes. I switched over a different computer system today. It's actually an old computer that I've I, I kind of rebuilt it to make it to upgrade it to a, a newer operating system so that we can add some new features uh, to the production side of what we're doing here. That's why we were on late tonight. Um, just some ongoing internet challenges here and so on. But when you donate, that's what the money is for. It helps keep everything operating here. The subscriptions for the software, the different platforms that we're on, even Rumble charges us a fee to be on. Um, the phone system, the hardware, all the video editing software, which is monthly subscriptions and and so on and so on and so on. The Adobe suite that we need to maintain. It costs more than people probably imagine to run this news operation. So greatly appreciate the support. Again, $60 or more, just make sure you send information about what size you would like in a hoodie. You can have it in any color you want as long as it is black. We also have t-shirts and uh, for a donation of $30 or more, I can send you a t-shirt. So if you prefer that, just let me know and I will send that out. We'll send out more of them again tomorrow. We have sold a few and that's awesome. Really appreciate the donations and happy to send you a, a either a hoodie or a t-shirt as a big thank you for your supporting the channel. Um, let's move on to some more news of the day. So they're still coming after Donald Trump. And you can see now, just in the speeches delivered this week, in the last couple of days, how this election is likely to play out. And you can see that Joe Biden is really, um, he's making it clear, I think, he's signaled that you know, he's going to make this J6 thing and domestic terrorism, I think, a focal point for his reelection campaign. I don't think Joe Biden is very popular with anyone, so he clearly needs to make this about Donald Trump in my view. And that is why he has kicked off his campaign this week by saying that Trump is a threat to democracy, continuing that theme really from his inaugural address as president and in his State of the Union addresses. And they're already focused on the next State of the Union address coming up in March. And there are indications from some of what I've been seeing online through interviews with senior administration officials who seem to indicate that that subject matter will, will be front and center again in the next State of the Union address because it is that divisive issue that Biden, I think, is going to try to use as the wedge issue to polarize the electorate and forge a path to another term in the Oval Office. 
Trump under fire, as usual, the lawfare ongoing. And then today we're seeing that special counsel, a special counsel probe has uncovered what they're saying are new details about Trump's inaction on January 6th, citing sources. So special counsel Jack Smith's team, according to mainstream media reports tonight, and I will show you how they're coming after Donald Trump tonight. Says uh, this is from ABC. And they're saying special counsel Jack Smith's team has uncovered previously undisclosed details about former President Donald Trump's refusal to help stop the violent attack on the U.S. Capitol three years ago as he sat watching TV inside the White House, according to sources familiar with what Smith's team has learned during its January 6th probe. So you scroll down, and what they're doing here is painting a picture that portrays Trump as not caring that the crowd had become unruly or violent. And they say sources went to Donald Trump. It says here, sources also said former Trump aide Nick Luna told federal investigators that when Trump was informed that then Vice President Mike Pence had to be rushed to a secure location, Trump responded by saying, quote, so what? Which sources said Luna saw as an unexpected willingness by Trump to let potential harm come to a longtime loyalist. And Pence has obviously withdrawn his support for Trump and is no longer held in very high regard at all by the MAGA crowd. So this is what they're trying to do. They're just trying to portray Donald Trump as someone who really directed, facilitated, wanted unrest on January 6th. It really, though, is... Um, you know, I, I'm going to say here tonight that I think that even just going on and on about the debate here with regard to this, it's it's not, it is an issue, but really it, it just comes down to this. Do you believe that the last election was stolen? And when you spend all your time debating whether January 6th was appropriate or not, whether that was an insurrection, and I don't believe that it rose to that level at all. That's my opinion. I think you had a variety of actors in there. You had people involved in a variety of things. But when you start going down that road and you have that debate, you're spending a lot of time focused on some on on the side issue the main issue is was that last election legitimate and we've seen in the past in the united states questions about whether elections have been stolen 
whether it was JFK versus Nixon, whether it was, um, you know, the hanging chads issue, whether, you know, Bush, whether it was, um, Jan, you know, whether it was the, the, the last election between Biden and, uh, and Trump, whether it was the first election between Hillary and Donald Trump, Democrats, many thought that that whole thing was rigged and cooked up too. So not a lot of trust or faith in the democratic institution in, in U.S. elections these days, but that is the, uh, the core issue. Because if you believe that the election was not legitimate, then the people who are there protesting are patriots. If you believe that the election was legitimate, then the people there were in, involved in something very unpatriotic. Even if it is something that was, even if the, the election was legitimate, I still don't think that what we watched on January 6th was anything close to an actual insurrection. No weapons there. The Democrats, Biden, his supporters clearly outright lying about a lot of what happened there, including the deaths that he has mentioned repeatedly. The only people that died that day were MAGA supporters or Trump supporters. And the police officer that died did not die that day. He died afterward. He was not bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. That is simply not true. And yet it was re reported and repeated over and over and over and over and over again by the mainstream media, by Joe Biden himself, to the point where a lot of Americans believe that to be the case. And it simply is not true. An autopsy revealed that Officer Sicknick died of natural causes after. Not on that day, afterward. He went home that night, called his family, called a relative, said he was okay. Died, I believe, the next day. Of natural causes as determined by a coroner. Politics, it's just deteriorated. It's degenerated. It's, uh, it's in a terrible state in the United States. It's, uh, it's just a place now where everybody sits around calling their political opponents Nazis. You're a Nazi, you're a Nazi, you're a Nazi, you're a Nazi. Biden calling Trump supporters basically domestic terrorists. You, because I know a lot of you guys out there watching are Trump supporters. Are you domestic terrorist or are you a patriot? Depends on your point of view. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. That has always been the case. And when you are at war, truth is a casualty.
it becomes a public relations game largely because these guys need the public support. Going into an election, that is a form of political warfare, to be sure. And an election is an existential threat to a ruling administration. But, you know, it is not treasonous to oppose a sitting government in a democratic country. It's not treasonous to try to turf an existing sitting democratically elected government by winning an election against them and opposing them using the democratic process. That's part of what democracy is all about. That is what democracy is all about. Let the people decide. And if the time has come for change, then the time has come for change. But that doesn't make it an act of treason. What does, in my view, rise to the level of treasonous activity would be trying to dismantle the system entirely and replacing it with something else where people lose their right to vote, to dispense with democracy. That's what Hitler did. He used, he was trying to overthrow the government initially. They threw him in jail. When he finally was released, he changed his tactics, used democracy to get elected, and then once elected, worked from within the system to dispense with democracy and establish himself as the supreme ruler who could never really be challenged. So he would be perpetually in power. That's abusing democracy. That is actually in itself an act of treason. But he, once in a position of power, abused that power in order to make sure that no opposition could unseat him. And the people largely supported that, as you saw from history. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going on here at all. And in fact, these accusations against Donald Trump are really uncalled for, in my view, because when they accuse Donald Trump of being a fascist or a threat to democracy, the evidence just doesn't bear that out. You just have to look at his first term in office. He didn't do any of the things that they said that he was going to do. He did not act like a dictator. He didn't set up concentration camps. Not, not during those four years. Now, we did have the pandemic and we did have some issues, to be sure. But in a lot of cases, you can see that Donald Trump actually exercised restraint where many were expecting him to go in with force and where states had rights, certain sovereignty, if you will, within the United States as a state governing body. He respected that. He did not go in with federal troops, even during the summer of love, when you saw protests in places like Seattle, he did not send in federal troops when there were riots, entire communities, business areas taken over, he didn't go in with a heavy hand. 
some criticized him for not doing more. But I think he was always pretty careful about respecting people's rights. And he even during the pandemic, even though he's the guy who gave us the vaccine with Operation Warp Speed, always said that he wanted people to have choice. And he deferred to the states largely on a lot of these issues surrounding vaccines, mask mandates, lockdowns. He let the governors make decisions that they felt at the time, felt at the time were in the best interests of their states. And we saw mixed results. I have my own views on it. Personally, I think he should have done more to restrict the powers of governors to keep things more open and preserve people's rights in the, in the face of these draconian lockdowns, which were unprecedented in Western society, modern Western society. We'd never done anything like that before. I hope we never go through it in that way again. But I think Donald Trump proved in his first term that he is not a dictator. So these accusations, I think, are alarmist. Okay, let's take a little break. I'm going to come back and uh, we're going to get into this Stephen Hawking stuff because I know a lot of you really are going to take some interest in that. And... Uh, I'm interested in it, too, because it's all pretty weird stuff. Don't go away. News. The world is watching. The world 
is watching. So, for anybody that's been following this program, or even if you've just been online going, you know, going through the motions on social media, you are probably aware that Stephen Hawking has been named in these court documents related to the Jeffrey Epstein sex scandal. Those document dumps he's mentioned in there. And as a result, there are on some cr pretty crazy reports that are surfacing online about Stephen Hawking. So what's happened here in reality, though, is some people are out there fabricating information, taking things to a place that, well, it's a place of untruth, or should I just say lies, fabrications. <laughs> so... Stephen Hawking, of course, a theoretical physicist who was paralyzed in a wheelchair. There was a... Here's a post on Twitter. I think I've got it here for you. Yeah. Here we go. So I'm just telling you straight up, this, this particular thing here debunked not true fabrication this is on twitter it says hold on one sec are you telling me let me get this up on the screen for you are you telling me that stephen hawking frequented the island for pleasure answer yes jeffrey loved to have intellectuals visit the island so he could reward them for their hard work for humanity and other darker reasons. Did Jeffrey ever talk to you about Stephen Hawking's proclivities? Answer, yes. He liked watching undressed midgets. Live, I think it is. I can't read it because there's something over the one word. Or perform complex equations on a too high up chalkboard and here it is here a uh, solve rather and even mario Knopfel reposted this thing and then later deleted it but not for this screenshot was taken. Clickbait, baby. Hold on one sec. Did Jeffrey ever talk to you about Stephen Hawking's proclivities? Answer, yes. He liked watching undressed midgets solve complex equations on a too high up chalkboard. Well, I went through those documents and I never found that. Now, there were over, well, what? Over the last few days, we've got about 4,000 pages in total. I obviously didn't read all of it, but I, I got through quite a bit of it and found nothing else online by anyone else who 
went through this information to support that. That is a fabrication debunked by a variety of media sources, including some independents, not true. But there is some truth, I guess, to Stephen Hawking's activities, his, his, his preferences. I don't know. I'm going to get into that in a second. So here's another post online, which appears to have been largely exaggerated. And here I'll bring this one up. You can issue a reward for any of Virginia's friends, acquaintance, family that come forward and help prove her allegations are false. The strongest is the Clinton dinner and the new version of the Virgin Islands that Stephen Hawking and it's spelled incorrectly here. Patricia led in an underage orgy. And again, that information is not what I saw in those documents at all. These days, so easy to fabricate things. All you have to do is type some stuff on a, on a screen, make it look like it's on from a document. You can say whatever you want. Feed into people's imaginations. Tell them what I think a lot of people actually want to hear or read. Just feed it. Feed it to people. They'll buy it. And then they'll share it. And they'll think it's true. And... It'll go all the way around the world before the truth ever catches up. That's the truth. That is absolutely the truth. But I can tell you that in the past there has been there there has been attention focused on Stephen Hawking, who really had an incredible journey as a, a renowned physicist. Everybody knows him as a genius, but he's, he had a, he had some un, unusual experiences. I think he was diagnosed with ALS at the age of 21. At that time he was given just two years to live and he defied the odds and was able to live with that disease until um, he was into his 50s. He was almost completely paralyzed. But mainstream media told us he's a genius and made many contributions to theoretical physics, delving into the mysteries of black holes and the origins of the universe. But there were, there were reports over time and I kind of went back and cultivated some of this or curated some of this information. There was a biopic that hit theaters back a number of years ago called The Theory of Everything. Actor Eddie Redmayne in it delivers a mesmerizing performance portraying Hawking's life from his days at Cambridge to his marriage with Jane Wilde, played by Felicity Jones, the film paints an overwhelmingly positive picture of Hawking. 
based on Jane Hawking's revised memoir, Traveling to Infinity, My Life with Stephen. But then go back eight years prior to that, and there's a less rosy memoir titled Music to Move the Stars, where she details the challenges of her marriage to the master of the universe, as she describes him, um, in a difficult journey of caring for Hawking as his disease and ego consumed him, it says here, often feeling more like a caregiver than a spouse. And then it goes on, this information that I was able to find says, in a surprising twist during his tumultuous period, Hawking apparently enjoyed running over people's toes with his wheelchair. He even gave Prince Charles a taste of his toe running over habit during a Royal Society induction in 1976. So then you get into the 80s, and then the information is that Hawking grows close to his nurse, Elaine Mason. And then he gets divorced in 1995. Hawking marries Mason, his nurse, in September of that year. And then that relationship takes a dark turn as mysterious injuries um, befall Hawking, with many pointing fingers at Mason. Things then came to a head in 2003 when a nurse reported that Hawking began being badly burned after, or was badly burned after being left out in the sun. And then there's this report from the Daily Beast. And that's where this picture is coming from. It's also circulating online. This I don't believe is really directly related to the Epstein Island visit because Hawking is mentioned as having been on the island. But he's not accused. There's not, no evidence in these documents thus far to show that he did anything wrong or inappropriate. He's just mentioned. So I don't know. Um, but here's a picture of him with some young women, this coming from a daily beast article dated all the way back in 2014 in July, the headline from that article being the other side of Stephen Hawking strippers, aliens, and disturbing abuse claims. You know, I'll show you the article. So as I say, there, over the years, there was a, a different, you know, it's, it wasn't all positive with Stephen Hawking. Portrayed in the mainstream media, I think, is some sort of a saintly, scientific Western hero. He's a complex individual who gave in to temptation, I think, at times. So talks here. Again, about, uh, you know, his marriages, his um,
his visits to strip clubs. <laughs> uh, talks about his how he believes in aliens or believed in aliens when he was alive. And I don't know. Um, as I say, he, like most human beings, like all human beings, a complex character. But when the information came out about him visiting Epstein Island, a lot of people, it was like, what? Me included. As soon as his name was involved, it was like, he's paralyzed. What, what would he, what would he do? How would he be involved in anything there anyway? I can't see that he would be able to do anything unless he requests it. Uh, but I mean, this is just a little bit twisted. Hawking also reportedly was spotted numerous times getting lap dances at the California strip club DeVore and was even said to have frequented Freedom Acres, a swingers club in California. This from the Daily Beast back in 2014. Quote from a, an article in the Huffington Post back at that time, who said, quote, I have seen Stephen Hawking at the club more than a handful of times. He arrives with an entourage of nurses and assistants. Last time I saw him, he was in the back play area, lying on a bed fully clothed, with two naked women gyrating all over him. And then there's this in the article, which says Tim Holt, University of Cambridge press officer, later confirmed that Hawking had frequented the Swingers Club, but claimed that he wasn't a regular. Quote, at the time, this report is greatly exaggerated. He visited once a few years ago with friends while on a visit to California. So if he's going to a swingers club in California and that's been confirmed, then who knows what might have been going on on Epstein Island. Now, that being said, I don't think that what Stephen Hawking may or may not have done at a swingers club in California was necessarily illegal. And the fact that this information is coming out in, in public, I'm not, even, I'm not even sure that I'm comfortable with it, but it's out there. So we're drawing attention to it tonight simply because a lot of the reports that are circulating online are simply fabrications. People so seem to want to tear him down. That's the way our society is these days, isn't it? As soon as somebody ascends up the ladder of fame, you get to a certain point and then they want to knock you off that pedestal and see you fail. I think that's, that's so often the way our society is. People cheer for, for people on the rise. And when they get to the top, they like to kind of kick them off and watch them fall. I think back to, you know, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and 2000s and Danny Bonaducci. He played Danny on the Partridge Family. Successful as a child actor. And then afterward, like a lot of other child actors, like a lot of celebrities 
who have success and then fade into regular, into a regular walk of life, if you will. You know, you can, I, I just watched him with fascination who over time, because he was successful, faced a lot of abuse from people in, in the public when he was really just trying to survive and people would mock him and laugh at him because he wound up sleeping in his car for a time, then going to work as a DJ, you know, having some degree of success coming back. I know that he kind of um, was befriended by Dick Clark for a while and seemed to get some additional work. And, you know, he was, he's back out there and has been doing his thing and surviving and doing okay. But it's tough when you're a celebrity, a person of note, and then you kind of slip. People seem to like that. It's that in itself shows a darker side of society. I think people here are eager to see Stephen Hawking smeared. But I'm just looking for the truth and the facts and the story. So tonight I'm just drawing your attention to it because I don't think it's fair to smear somebody with false accusations. I can understand people making a mistake and reposting something that maybe they thought was factual and then taking it down afterward and then, you know, hopefully making a correction of some kind, as we've seen with some pretty influential online media influencers. I didn't post that stuff, but I'm drawing your attention to it here just to kind of keep things on the straight and narrow. So all that being said, I just want to circle back <laughs> uh, to just again, put the challenge out to all of you guys out there, all the Mavericks, and in particular, Celtic Love called in the other night very upset about those missing children in Lahaina, Hawaii. As I say, I'm, I'm totally open to and would like to get the parents of these missing children. Just a few, just a few parents, some moms or dads, relatives, cousins, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, anybody. Who can talk to us about some of these missing children that apparently are missing in Lahaina. We're told they're, I don't know, all the, the, some of the posts that I'm seeing about it indicate that they're, what, like a thousand missing children or more. That's what we've been told. So I've been trying to um, nail down an interview with families. I just haven't had very much luck locating any family members of the missing children. And I'm not seeing any pictures put up. I'm not seeing any reports about the missing children. And, you know, it just seems to me with what's going on. Because um, Celtic Love called in here hysterical the other night. Very, 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 very upset. And obviously Celtic Love would like to do something about it. So I would really like Celtic Love to contact me directly or, come on the show or 
come back on the show or just whatever. If you're out there in the in the chat tonight, are you out there, Celtic Love? Are you out there in the chat tonight? Anybody? And let me just check on uh, the other channel. Anybody know who Celtic Love is? Can anybody provide assistance here? Because I just, if anybody can get me in touch with any families, anyone at all from Lahaina and these missing children, love to get them on the show. I'd settle for one, but I'd like to get a few. You know, I'm going to tell you a story about my, a day in my life as a mainstream reporter back in the day was a fire. A house fire that is forever seared into my memory. And um, this is what happened. I'm called out to a house fire west side of the city where that I was working at the time. And I arrive on scene and the firefighters shortly after I get there begin carrying the bodies of young children out. All brothers and sisters, very young, all of them, in one of the poorer parts of town. It was a summer day, bright and sunny, warm. And the firefighters, one by one, carried the bodies of these children, five of them, out and laid them on the front lawn. They'd all died of smoke inhalation. No smoke detectors. I was there to capture it all on video. And it's a day I will never forget. Too many days like that. As part, part of the process, my job, like any reporter, one of the things you have to do when you're, when you're covering an event like that, a story, is you have to approach the family. You have to approach them to see if at some point when it's appropriate, if there is ever actually an appropriate moment to approach a family or when something like that happens, you have to approach the family and you do always try to get photographs of the victims. It's just part of the job. For me, that was always the hardest thing I ever had to do. Because you just don't want to bother the family members, right? 
but there was always, I always found a, 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 a legitimate reason for doing it. Always criticized by some people for doing it. Understandable. Why would you bother the family? Why would you ask them for photos? Why would you do this? Why would you do that? Why are you here? Because people get angry. And it's emotional, especially when you're dealing with children who have died. But there was a big safety issue there. No smoke detectors. The reason the pictures are needed is because you need to humanize the story for people. You need to turn it into something that is real, tangible, that people can actually relate to on a human level. If all you do is take a story like that and just say, there was a fire, five children died, next. It doesn't stick with people. Even if you say there were no smoke detectors, it does stick with some people. The message gets through, but not in the same way as it does if you show people who the victims were, explain to them what they were like, put names to the faces, and let people absorb that in a human way. In that way, you, whenever you're dealing with a tragedy like that, you're giving at least some meaning, some reason to the deaths. Like, they didn't die just for nothing. At least then there's a, a, an important message that comes out in a way that people like get the message so that they go out and get their damn smoke detectors so that it doesn't happen again. And I also knew that the people who would criticize me or any reporter, and every reporter has to do that at various times during their careers, You, you you know that the people who are most vocal and complaining the most about you doing it and criticizing you the most are the first ones to run home and watch your report that night. And indeed, if you don't do it, you are also criticized by people saying, why, why don't you care? Don't you care about those kids? Don't you care about the families? Why are you just paying lip service to it? This is much more important than that you need to give this more attention it's an important story and it is important because that incident rocked the entire community it still hangs with me today but you have to deal with those things in a very respectful manner you have to Approach the family with compassion and respect. And accept whatever that they choose to do. If they 
choose to participate in an interview or if they choose to provide information or photographs, fine. And if they choose not to, that's their choice too. And you have to respect that. You don't force it. And we got photographs. We did interview the families, they, the family members, they did understand. And many times like that, um, most on most occasions, depending on how you approach the family, you, you would be able to work with them and, and try to do something positive in the face of the tragedy. But what I really don't like is I never liked reporters who exploited the situations, who were not respectful to families, who pushed too hard. And I did see that from time to time. Really don't like it. So I'm looking at this situation in Lahaina from day one. I've been watching what's been going on there and all this talk about the, you know, the children, the missing children. That phone call. Wow. That was emotional the other night, wasn't it? Celtic love. So I want to put a human face on that story. There are over a thousand missing children. We need, why are, why are people not talking about it? Where are the families? Where are the, po the pictures going up on lampposts all over Hawaii? Why are we not seeing that? Why are we not hearing about it? Why are we not getting information from the families? Where are they? Celtic Love, you asked what you could do. He said, why aren't we doing something about the children? Well, Celtic Love, you're going to call into this show. I'm going to put the challenge back out to you. You get in contact with me. You let me know. And I'll tell you what, like, we need your help. You go get us, con con help us get con in contact with somebody, anybody, any family, any, any family member, a mother, a father, a brother, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a grandmother, a grandfather, anybody, a godmother, a godfather, anybody of a missing child from Lahaina. We'll put them on. And if they're missing, maybe we can help find them. Maybe we can put the pictures of some of these missing kids up on the screen and show people all the missing kids so that the world will know. The world is watching. And we'll put the pictures of the missing kids up on the screen. Because I'm seeing, a, you know, there are a lot of posts out there about all the missing kids. And people went on and on and on and on and on and on and on about it. And they're still going on and on about it. And Celtic Love called in here. And I know how upset you are because I understand exactly how incredibly upsetting it is. How emotional it is. Celtic Love. 
and we got to get the truth out. So let's focus on the truth. And I'll put that same challenge out to every member of the Maverick family tonight. Help me out. All of you can work as citizen journalists. Research this. Go. Make a couple of long-distance phone calls. Reach out. Send some messages online. Let's scour the internet. Let's take a look at Maui. Let's take a look at Lahaina. Let's contact people down there on the island. And let's find some relatives of the missing children. Let's get some pictures of the actual missing children. Putting the challenge out to all of you guys to help me so that we can help them. And we'll dig down and we'll get the truth. Can't do everything on my own. Let's open our eyes, get focused, get motivated, and get some real information. We'll talk more about it in the days ahead. The New World Order. Government Overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind. Okay, I'm back. That gets us to a point in the night where I think it's just about time to wrap up. It is Sunday. And as I say, I was making, I'm just looking around here at all the stuff in the studio. And yeah, I've made a lot of changes here. Started a little later. We're going to wrap it up now. Um, appreciate you guys spending your time here for this abbreviated version of uh, Maverick News tonight. But uh, we've covered a lot of ground covered all the main bases in terms of the top stories of the day. And I'll be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, with whatever else happens tomorrow. We'll see how weird things get on the flip side. Love y'all. Catch you at 6 p.m. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.